Welcome back to Share the Rock every Thursday at 12 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major streaming platform. Today, I'm excited to have Ian and Tyler Hunsberger. What's up, guys? Hey, Lucas. How are you? Good, man. Good, man. Just like uh, all the last few weeks we've been doing this, I uh, really miss the NBA and sports, but I'm, I'm good. How are you guys? Me too, bro. I just want to start this off by giving a quick uh, quick little disclaimer. I know you, you celebrated a birthday yesterday. I did. I so, did. Uh, I, on behalf of all the viewers of this podcast, just want to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate yes, that. Happy birthday, man. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate yeah, but, uh, it. Miss the NBA too a lot. We'd be in the, the heart of playoffs right now, which is kind of a bummer, but it does suck. Yeah, all I wanted from all I wanted for my birthday this year was a uh, NBA back. But anyway, so um, to kick it off um, again, just like the last last few weeks, uh, Sunday night's episode of the Last Dance was a masterpiece. Um, and first, I'll talk about episode five. So it kicked off with some dialogue from the late great Kobe, rest in peace, about how Jordan shaped and impacted his game. Even he even went as far to say that he would not have won five championships without the mentorship mentorship and advice that Jordan lent him. Then the camera cuts to the to the famed '98 All Star game that featured an 18 year old Kobe against Jordan. Jordan had 23, eight and six, while Kobe had 18 and a losing effort. And us fans were even treated to some little uh, cuts of conversation between the two legends to kind of show how this was a, this was truly a um, brother brother connection between the two. I mean, we always kind of knew that you know. Jordan played a big had a big impact on Kobe's life and career, but this this the uh, last dance really shows that. So on a um, aesthetic level, and you know as well as how they carried themselves, and even to their build and game, they really mirrored each other. So can either of you speak to the obvious uh, similarities in the game career of like Kobe and Jordan, and how Jordan showed Kobe how to win five championships? Yeah, man. I mean, obviously, uh, rest in peace to Kobe, Gianna, and, and all the other passengers involved in that in that helicopter crash. But I think the episode did a really good job of hitting on that big brother relationship that they had. And uh, I mean, Kobe really is like the only player in my eyes that uh, has that that uh, same winning edge as Michael Jordan in that in that relationship they had. I think they're in a a group of their own, even separate from other greats, so even of like LeBron and, and people like that. I just think mm-hmm. their their ability to win games is unlike any other, and the only two players in NBA history who I've seen were even mm-hmm. close to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we talk so much about the Mamba mentality, but really, Jordan was the original Mamba mentality. You know, he was the first one to really come in and put his put his foot really into the game and just urge his team to win against all odds Mm -hmm. and Kobe really took that too I think we see with a lot of people nowadays who kind of grew up on Kobe like myself you Lucas and Ian Mm -hmm. uh, included Kobe was kind of like our Jordan Mm -hmm. you know just the way they approached the game right Right. I think the documentary uh, The Last Dance really kind of highlights how you know Jordan was what Kobe is for us but for a lot of people that you know were basketball fans before us which is insane to see and uh, sometimes I'm just, you know, during, the, obviously, the world's going through the coronavirus uh, pandemic now, but sometimes I'm just looking through YouTube, and I, I came across this video the other day of uh, kind of comparing some uh, post-fadeaways and dribble moves that Kobe did that mirrored Jordan, and it's really, really similar. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean I'm talking the same exact way they move their legs, the same way they faded out, the same distance away from the basket. It's almost uh, eerie to th- how close it was. So 
I, I, I don't know. I feel like Jordan just played a really big role in Kobe's career. And obviously, this isn't anything new. But I, like, Tyler, like you said, uh, the last dance really kind of just showed that for the whole world. And it's it's really something to to appreciate. Um, you know, both their you know their their competitive levels and how they played the game and how similar they were. So that that's a good point there. And an important one more thing, uh, an important uh, aspect to hit on, I think, is that this this like killer instinct, I think, applies to much more than just basketball. I mean, it just it those these two athletes in particular inspired mm-hmm. more more young athletes than like anyone else. I would say they they are so uh, so dedicated and motivated and just right. so. Uh, determined to master their craft and, and win games, which I is just so incredibly inspirational. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tyler, if there's anything you want to... Or... I just want to give a quick uh, shout-out to Phil Jackson, honestly, because I think that's really an underrated part of both of their successes. Right. I think when you look right. at the triangle offense especially, and uh, you know, we talked a lot about how Jordan kind of served as a mentor to Kobe, and they do have very similar games, but I think... Um, Phil Jackson and just the way he was able to bring the team around him um, and also create an offense, you know, the triangle offense, of course, that really just worked so well into the skills of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, respectively. I think that also has to be said as a, you know, as an important factor of both of their successes, notwithstanding, you know, the edge that both of them played with themselves. Yeah, and I... Go ahead, go ahead. I was was just going to say that... uh, a lot of people, you know, they remember that Phil was the coach of the Lakers and the Bulls, but they kind of forget that the same offensive uh, philosophy that, you know, won the Bulls six championships in eight years, he kind of took to the Lakers and turned them from a, you know, they were pretty good before Phil got there, but when he got there, they turned into, you know, obviously winning a three-peat early 2000s and then uh, two more in the late 2000s with Kobe, the Kobe Shaq era, and then later Kobe and Pau Gasol. So I just think, Phil, uh, for that reason, um, kind of just going off of this Phil Jackson uh, thought, uh, this Phil Jackson thought here, is that I think that makes him one of the best coaches of all time, if not the best, because it's he just managed to integrate so many, top, so much top-end talent at once, and that's not easy to do. You know, when you have Kobe, Shaq, or whether it be Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Taking all of that top end talent, everyone who wants the ball and everyone who wants the spotlight, putting that together into one big, you know, into one big bowl, that doesn't always work. And he just he managed to do it really, really well. So that element of that element of Phil Jackson can't be lost here. Uh, Listen, I think Phil Jackson is the Kobe and Jordan of coaching. He just he's a winner. <laughs> he's a born winner. He knows how to win games, and that's all you could ask for, really. Yeah, I mean, he he, uh, he 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 delivered the Knicks's. Uh, well, wasn't all him, but he was on the last Knicks championship team. So, well, if you can get the Knicks to win, then you're you're a special guy. <laughs> <laughs> that I will give you. That I will give you. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So, um, I um, I do want to jump to another big topic that was kind of covered. Actually, it was it was really covered in episodes three and four, but also mentioned in episode five was the uh, dream team. Um, specifically, you know, the, obviously the 1992 Dream Team with Co- uh, with excuse me Jordan, Carl Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and most people consider that to be the greatest collection of talent ever assembled on any sports roster ever. So a long-standing point of uh, hatred between the two bitter rivals, MJ and Isaiah Thomas, 
was whether or not MJ actually was part of the reason that Isaiah Thomas was left off of the Dream Team, you know, let's say over John Stockton or someone like that. So I just want to touch on the roster for one second, uh, just as a whole. I think they were almost perfect in the roster selection, but me personally, I would have taken Shaq over uh, Christian Leitner. I think that's an easy decision there that they completely messed up on. And I also would have taken Isaiah Thomas over John Stockton. Uh, I have, you know, I'm not going to get into all-time rankings now, but I have uh, Isaiah Thomas higher than John Stockton. Um, if you compare their careers, I, I think Isaiah Thomas is a little more valuable. Um, so the main two things I want to get at here is that what mistakes do you guys think were made in the final roster for that 1992 Dream Team? And did MJ, you know, whether or not it happened in real life, actually have the ability or power to, you know, quote-unquote, keep Isaiah Thomas off of the team because of their beef? Well, I think it wasn't just Jordan. You know, they talk a lot in The Last Dance, too, the fact that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson also had their problems with uh, with Isaiah Thomas. And and Malone. They all, Malone, they all too. Beef. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense just from, you know, the standpoint of, you know, the people arranging the team. They obviously want to get this large group of NBA superstars together, but they want to make sure they're happy. Obviously, they want to make sure all the personalities kind of mesh together mm-hmm. and you know if, if there's somebody even as talented as Isaiah Thomas you don't want to upset the balance of power too much you know if Michael Jordan Larry Bird and uh, Magic Johnson don't want this guy on the team then you know sometimes <laughs> I, I think you know that's that's an easy decision to make if you're the one uh, constructing the roster well yeah that, that's a good point but the, the, the other side to that is that uh in terms of you know as for a 1992 dream team roster in terms of like the best team that the nba could possibly you know send to the olympics i don't think it was totally fair for jordan to put his beef in the nba season with isaiah thomas to be a factor why he was kept off the team because you know People forget, I mean, Larry Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had a lot of beef in the 80s. And was that just forgotten about when they were choosing that roster? I mean, they were, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you're going to want to include Larry and Magic, two of, the, two of the top 10 players of all time. But why was their beef ignored, but Jordan's beef wasn't? Because Jordan more important than them? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's, like, rankings to this. And I, I feel like Jordan kind of wanted that sense of, you know, I'm more important than everyone else. And if I have a problem, it's going to be addressed I don't know. I just think that was interesting how that played out there. Here, here's my my take on this. I I agree with you and disagree with you at the same time, Lucas. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think MJ did possess the power to single handedly keep Isaiah off of the dream team, but I don't think he did. I think he played a part in it, but it was, you know, it was a it was a popular consensus that those guys just did not like Isaiah Thomas, and I think that the the Magic Bird beef was it, that was. I, I almost want to say it was squashed by then. I mean, mm-hmm. like to this day, these players still have beef with Isaiah Thomas. And you just, if you're talking about a dream team where they, they the main goal is to win games and mesh as a team, you, you can't have like a toxic relationship between your players that, that will affect your on-court play and it will affect your ability to win games. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, while I do think Isaiah Thomas is a better player than Stockton, mm-hmm. I think that putting Stockton on the roster was the right choice in terms of, of keeping up team morale to win games. Yeah, it, it definitely just seems like the beef between uh, Isaiah uh, and Michael Jordan and then like obviously with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, it was just on a more personal level with Isaiah. You know, mm-hmm. we, we even see in the documentary 
Bird, MJ, and uh, and Magic, you know, they're pals off the court. You know, they're friends. They hang out. It's clearly not that way with Isaiah. Um, and keeping that in mind, I think it's an easy decision if you want Larry Bird and Michael versus Isaiah. If you can have the three of them and it just comes at the cost of Isaiah Thomas, then, you know, that's a decision you have to make. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they were replacing him with some scrub. I mean, John Stockton is like, one of the best point guards of all time. All-time assist leader, yeah. Of, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know, yeah. I mean, um, both of you make good points there. It's just, I just think that um, in terms of, you know, the USA Basketball Committee making a decision, I think that Jordan's ego and his status as, you know, worldwide icon is was kind of prioritized over uh, anything, you know. And also, the other thing that, you know, we, I, 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 the other thing that I kind of mentioned before, but I want to touch on again, how can you pick Christian Leitner over Sha- Shaquille O'Neal? How? How do yeah, you? That was, I, that was I, I, I don't understand it. That, that and and, and I, I also I I'm, I just want to mention one thing. Leitner did have two titles at Duke. I think he was I, I, I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I don't remember what year he was at Duke, but he had two national titles at that point. And Shaq was a junior and didn't have any titles. But really, I mean that's that's egregious. I mean Shaq is. 325 pounds, seven foot one, one of the, if not the best pure center of all time. And Leitner, I mean, yeah, sure, he was good in college, famous shot, you know, fading away. But over Shaq, no, I, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know. You, you, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to it's easy to say that now, now that we know who who Shaq is and who Christian Leitner is. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It it wasn't right, but it. What can you do? That that. I'm, le- I- I'm not that rattled by that. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick up for Christian Leitner a little bit here because he did win back-to-back national championship games in 91 and 92, and he won the National Player of the Year in 1992. Right. Um, and 1992, I believe, was also when he had that um, iconic game-winning shot where he, you know... Fade away, ball. yeah. Yeah, it's like a fade away shot for the win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's easy to look back in retrospect and be like, you know, Shaq is a top 10 player of all time. Christian Leitner was like, you know, an above average player in the NBA, but nothing, nothing Another, really special. Nothing too special, but, yeah. But at the time, this guy was a college basketball icon, and I feel like that definitely has to be considered. I mean, Shaq's LSU team in 1992 got bounced in the second round of the NCAA tournament. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. But at the, at the same time, like, imagine, like, I just want you guys to imagine this roster. The 1992 Dream Team, as is, Except you cross off Stockton and you cross off Leitner and you have Isaiah Thomas and Shaq. People talk about the ninety two uh, 1992 Dream Team being the best you know, already. But if you add in those two upgrades, I, I don't think it gets yeah. any better. Per, per, yeah. I, I, I don't know. But you're right. You're, you're right about you know, with the points about Leitner you made. Those are valid. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, this, uh, this this was a great era of the episode. You know, I always love when uh, any anything basketball-related touches on the Dream Team. I think it's uh, absolutely crazy story of, you know, how all they all managed to come together and be uh, great together. So, Isn't uh, it crazy, too, that we are – so we're talking about these snubs, like mm-hmm. Christian Leitner over Shaq, but this is still – Probably the greatest collection of basketball talent ever assembled. I'd say I'd go as far as to say any sports roster ever. I think it's the I think it's the most stacked yeah. sports roster of all time. I mean, 
every yeah. every single player is. I mean, I mean, we, we obviously not Christian Lindner, but every other player is has it was on first ballot Hall of Fame. Was the centerpiece of their franchise. Was at pretty much you know, maybe besides Larry Bird and Magic at the peak of their careers at that point, peak of their physical talents. So you're right. I mean, I, it, it's it has me in awe every time I watch them. I mean, they. And I, I just I just want to say one quick thing here. Their lowest or Okay, I'll phrase it like this. The closest they came to losing was like 35, 36, I believe. That's insane. It just, it looked so effortless too. Like they were just, it's literally like you and your buddies playing at the park, just having a good time. And yeah. I think, I, I honestly think that Isaiah Thomas would have ruined that. It's like the annoying kid who you none of your friends like shows up and he starts asking for the ball. <laughs> that's true. That's true because Carl Malone, Bird, Magic, you're right. They all they all had some form of beef with, uh, yeah, with Isaiah. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to touch on something else here, though. Um, it, so the United States in 92 played um, Croatia, and the centerpiece of the team was um, uh, what his, his name, obviously, off the bench of the Bulls, uh, Tony Kukoc. So there's this big storyline that I don't think many people were aware of before the Sunday's night, Sunday night's episodes of The Last Dance. Uh, Jerry Krause, who was the general manager of the Bulls during their six championships in the 90s, uh, he kind of said Kukoc was the future of the team, you know, in terms of if he wanted to draft him, he was looking at him. Uh, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, you know, more so Pippen because of his contract situation. Um, you know, he was being really underpaid at the time took kind of a personal offense to Krause's strong interest in Kukoc instead of focusing on Pippen's contract and the team because, you know, the team was winning championships when he said that. It was also revealed that in when the United States played Croatia in the Olympics, Pippen and Jordan actually said to the teammates, um, oh, that Kukoc guy, he's for us. Let him." And they pretty much targeted him. So savage. So, so savage. Pippen, <laughs> Pippen said after the United States winning, quote-unquote, you know, after focusing on him the whole game, if he cannot handle this... He can't play 82 games in the NBA. So the question I have for you guys is: Also, really savage. Do you do you think that this was fair for them to come after Kukoc, especially when you know it was really Kraus that said you know Kukoc is the is the future? Was that fair for them to kind of target Kukoc in that sense? Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you're Tony Kukoc and you're just having a nice Olympic basketball game, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you just you just have these two monsters coming after you, just hounding you on the defensive end of the floor. <laughs> two of the best of all time. This poor guy. Whatever. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I mean, right, but I think it was necessary in the in the formation of Tony Kukoc as a player because you see they played them. Uh, I believe twice in that. In that twice, yeah, and yeah. The first time they held Kukos to what, like two points? He had like, that. like eight points, I believe, something like that. Yeah, yeah. A, a, not a good game at all. But he came back uh, in the in the championship game, and, and he had a he had a relatively big game. So I mean, you can see it like things like that are what mold players. But the thing is, of like that's a really good point. But I, I kind of disagree to an extent because you know it's not. Kukoc's fault. I mean, I, I, okay. Well, you know, I agree with most of what you said, but the thing I disagree with is when, when you you said they, they were justified. I just think that you know it's not Kukoc's fault. I mean, he's just trying to play the best basketball he can. You know, pr- maybe get a um, bigger check in the NBA after showing out for you know in front of like a huge audience, and he's just trying to do well. And Kraus comes in and you know kind of puts his own pride and ego and everything. And Pippen and Jordan, again, more Pippen, kind of. Pin it on Kukoc. So I, I don't feel like in the sense that they said, you know, Kukoc is like, we're going to get him. 
kind of thing. But I think they were more trying to say we're not happy with the GM. And I think, you know, it was kind of a lack of maturity a little bit from Pippen and Jordan. I'm not saying that playing good defense is a lack of maturity just in terms of what they said. And, you know, especially Pippen's comment wasn't that, you know, it was kind of out of line there. So, yeah. Is it a lack of maturity or does it just goes back to uh, Jordan's competitive edge? I mean, the fact that he took such offense to to these statements by Krause that he was willing to absolutely ensure that this man has no fun whatsoever. <laughs> like, who else Who else can do that, you know? I mean, he, he just, it's the littlest things just set him off and motivate him to just elevate even more. But why, Absolutely. But, Tyler, right, 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 right before you go, I just want to say this one thing. Kukoc would be, Kukoc at the time, Jordan and Pippen knew that he would be a really good, um, uh, you know, uh, pickup for the Bulls. It's not like oh, he's yeah. some some scrub. Like he he was you know a key piece in their championship runs. So championship runs, excuse me. So why why would they be so hostile around him? You know that just decreases the chances of a really good player helping Jordan and Pippen. Tyler, if you want to address that at all. Yeah, I think it's totally the competitive edge. It's really just Jordan creating his own motivation out of basically nowhere. <laughs> um, because essentially, like you said it, like they they were going to be team, teammates with Tony Kukoc. It kind of is to their advantage not to really uh, disencourage him to to come to the United States and play basketball. I mean, he's clearly a good player. Um, But the whole point is, it's Jordan's competitive edge and his feeling of always being slighted and that desire to prove his doubters wrong, even if they don't don't actually exist. Only matched by Kobe Bryant. Only matched by Kobe Bryant. I have another theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously there were international players before Ku coach, but mm-hmm. I mean, when else did did we hear about the, uh, the some big business tycoons of, of organizations <laughs> talking about oh so and so is going to come to America and take over this team even though even though this is already like one of the greatest teams of all time. So I mean, mm-hmm. could it be that maybe Jordan felt motivated by the fact that? He felt almost threatened by the, this international guy who was just going to come in and take his spot. It could it be just like you know? I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, I feel like being Michael Jordan, like, and especially with you know the competitive alpha dog like mindset he has. I don't. Does he really think that you know Tony Kukoc of all? I mean, I would understand if you're saying like you know Clyde Drexler or Shaq or I don't know like Larry Bird or whoever like. Uh, Joe Dumars, one, one, you know, one of the all-time greats. Like, I, like I would understand if Krause was talking about them, but you're talking Tony Kukoc. He hasn't played a game in the, in the NBA yet. Obviously, he's talented, but I just I don't think there's any way that Jordan or Pippen thought, you know, Krause is going to draft this guy and I'm going to get traded right after the draft. Like, I, I don't think that was the particular thought process because, again, it's not like I feel like nobody really knew knew Kukoc until he got to Chicago. So I think I think that's the reason we're having this conversation. It's because it was Tony Kukoc, and like even the the tiniest inkling of a threat was enough to just that's true. You know, elevate Jordan's play again. He's just the greatest of all time for that exact reason. That's true. I compare Kukoc to um, the um, Andre Iguodala of the Bulls. I think not in terms of you know maybe Iguodala is, is is a better defensive player, but when the Bulls wanted to play small ball, you know, with Ron Harper, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kukoc, and Rodman, that lineup was that's their quote unquote death lineup. I think that lineup is one of the best st- starting five or one of the best you know five man units of all time. So 
Kukoc was people people forget, but Kukoc was a huge part of the Bulls' six championships. You know, I mean, obviously, you also saw in the documentary Scotty Pittman's migraine game. Kukoc came in, filled in those minutes, great. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he is slept on. He is, he is, and that's why I kind of compare him to the Andre Iguodala of the Warriors dynasty. Which is why his backstory is so interesting. You know, yeah, he's got a great modern game too. You yeah. can really imagine the Bulls. You know, the '96 Bulls running out there today with a lineup of Ron Harper, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Rodman, and, and Kukoc. Yeah. That would be a great small ball lineup. That'd be great, like, yeah. Kukoc had some range. He could he, he could handle the ball, pass. Yeah, he could he could dribble shoot pass. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he was just a great all-around player like that. Yeah, he's uh, six foot eleven point forward, basically. So it, it was just, yeah. So, uh, uh, again, you know, just a shout-out to, to, shout out, shout out to Tony Kukoc. I mean, Tony you know, Kukoc, if you're listening. Yeah. Sorry you had to go yes. through that. Yeah. Big ups, bro. Big ups. Yeah, I mean you I mean he fought through and became a really valuable piece to an all-time great team. So that takes some mental uh, f- mental strength and, f- and fortitude. But uh yeah. So that about wraps up talking about Kukoc. Um and again, uh, Tony Kukoc also had some comments on, you know, when they when they did the interviews of today, he seemed a little confused why they were they were targeting him because it was Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, and most players kind of like I I was I was also reading this article on Bleacher Report that said some players while playing defense, you know, called out called out to someone holding a camera and saying, "Make sure you take a picture. I'm standing next to Magic Johnson." So yeah, I was I was gonna say, can you, so, can you imagine how much clout that gave him in Croatia? Think about it's that. Like, yeah, it's like when you're playing in like an AAU game and you get the ball and you hear like the other coach be like, "Shooter!" Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's both the one definitely. So yeah, that was just a really cool snippet in the doc. Okay, so I do want to kind of jump to a uh, kind of more recent uh, news from yeah, the other the coronavirus pandemic. So you know, after the last dance, um, Aaron, it was uh, uh, several hours at, later that night. Uh, the Utah Jazz GM said that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were ready to quote-unquote move on from their issues coming from Gobert's handling of the coronavirus. Obviously, we all saw Gobert, you know, touching all those microphones and being really careless, obviously, and there were reports of him being careless in the locker room and stuff. So my question to you guys is, one, you know, just from a basketball perspective, do they work on the court together? Meaning, you know, can they make a, run, a serious run at a championship? And two, you know, going back to his handling of, of, of the coronavirus, should they even try to make things work? I mean, that was pretty bad. I'm not sure if I was Donovan Mitchell, uh, I would, you know, want a, I would have a strong interest in staying on the Utah Jazz. And again, I'm not blaming Rudy Gobert for giving it to them. You know, I, I mean, it's likely, but I, I can't be sure. So, what are your thoughts on this kind of dysfunctional situation in Utah, and how should things move forward from here? Well, there's no rush to make a decision right now, <laughs> obviously. And even if they wanted to, they really can't. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the NBA rules uh, stipulate in this situation as far as trades, <laughs> but um, you know the trade deadline is passed. Um, but regardless, you know, um, I still think they have a chance to make it work. Uh, I don't think the Jazz of as of right now they have a solid roster, but I just don't see it as enough to compete with the two LA teams and not with the Bucks either. Mm-hmm. You know, if they got to the finals. Yeah, um, I just don't think there's enough there. I agree. 
And something's missing. I don't think that they have enough to make it out of the second round. Right. Um, I do think one of those players are going to go. I don't think – like, obviously, they, they work fine on the court together, but they don't work well enough where you would uh, where you would try to, like, rekindle that relationship to try to win a chip. I don't think that's that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think – I think if they had to choose one, I think they'd obviously rather build around Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mitchell's their guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing about the uh, the whole you know Rudy Gobert being careless, um, there was also I think it's important to mention there was another report you know a few days before that they were willing to move forward. They're ready to move forward, and I just think it's really interesting and kind of annoying actually that there's been like five. Um, you know, five report, five solid news notifications I've got about them being ready to move forward, and then another five about them being done. I just want—I know it's hard in this time to get a firm answer on anything, but I'm just looking for—you know—are they going to be good together or are they going to hate each other? And I'm just tired of you know a Bleach Report, ESPN saying one thing and then saying the opposite. I just want clarity on this because. I think those two could do really well on their own, and I think Ian, I kind of agree. I think that um, Gobert would be better kind of on his own team, you know. Because uh-huh. so, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I just, I'm really looking for the news to give us some clarity about this, and that's really what I, that's what I hope for in the next few weeks. The problem is, the problem is if they want, if they wanted to move Gobert, the market for centers right now is is not good. Especially for one that makes as much money as Gobert. But he's a two-time Gobert. defensive player of the year, though. Just right, to... but he still gets played off the court in playoffs. You know, the past couple mm-hmm. years, the Rockets, uh, it's been a big problem. That. You've said that, and it, I, don't like, I don't like that statement. This Go watch the, is, the replays against I the Rockets. Know, but he's not, he's not like a, a perimeter defender. His shot-blocking capabilities are like one of the best of all time. I think that in itself should never justify taking him out in clutch situations i mean there's a reason the the jazz lost the past two years in the playoffs against the uh the rockets and i'm not saying it's entirely because of rudy gobert that's just because the rockets are better so hold on um i obviously i'm rudy gobert is better than a clint capella but if you're the jazz and let's say things don't work out between donovan mitchell and rudy gobert would you do a trade similar to, let's say, I don't know the, the exact players that would be the same, but, you know, um, Clint Capella was traded for Robert Covington, and they start P.J. Tucker at center now, and, and actually me and him have the same birthday, but believe it or not, I just found out. Oh, happy birthday, P.J. Oh. Tucker. Yeah. Happy yeah, birthday, yeah. Yep, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite players. Anyway, so... Oh, was he not like 50? Thir- uh, 35. <laughs> but, so, they traded Clint Capella for Robert Covington, so they have a small ball lineup. If you were Utah and things don't work out between Donovan and Rudy... Would you trade Gobert for someone, let's say, like Andre Iguodala or Trevor Ariza? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm having a little trouble thinking of the exact name right now. But for a wing defender similar to Robert Covington, is that would that be a smart move for them? It depends on the caliber, um, right? And I think it's it's tough because you know I'm I'm looking at the teams right now. I just don't know who would be a good trade partner for the Jazz at this point, right? I mean. We've I, honestly the only one that I can just think about right now is, um, and you know the salaries would work out as well would be you know Golden State, uh, Wiggins for for Jazz, and obviously the Warriors have a couple of draft picks that are that are pretty appealing as well that they could they could throw in there theoretically. I th- but I think that could work for both teams actually. Right, but yeah. it's like 
Gobert is one of those guys where I, I just feel like he means more to the Jazz and than the league would value him, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree, I agree. The Jazz would probably say, oh, we Andrew Wiggins in a pick? No, that, that's not near enough. But I don't think the market is actually that high for Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think whatever... I do think he's going to get traded. I have no idea where. But I do think uh, whatever the deal is, we're going to look at it and be like, oh my goodness, what were the Jazz thinking? I think mm-hmm. that they're going to... I think the only way Gobert gets traded is if a lot of picks are involved, which is why, you know, the Warriors are a possibility. But, you know, this guy's a defensive player of the year. He's he's a, the, I think, the best shot blocker in the league. I agree. And I just, I think he's he's being undervalued, but at the same time, you have to take into account every, pretty much everyone in the world hates him right now, you know? <laughs> Players may not want to play with him. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's true. Like, you gotta keep that into account. Uh, yeah, but... One thing I kind of want to go back to is, from an encore perspective, personally, uh, I understand this logic kind of goes against you know the modern day uh, uh, death of the big man movement. But I personally would prefer to build around Al Rudy instead of Donovan Mitchell. But actually, wow. and and okay, and here's 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 the reason. Okay, so I think every team needs a defensive anchor, and whether that be in the paint, the perimeter, you know. Mid, mid range, you know, it, it, like on the court, it doesn't really matter. But if you have a guy that you could look at and be like, that guy will lock up the team's best player every single night. And I'm going to give you an example: Kawhi Leonard in Toronto had one of the best playoff runs we've ever seen. And obviously, he's an off way more versatile offensively than Rudy Gobert. But his calling card, his whole career has been defense. You know, if you watch the series against the Warriors, against the Bucks, against the Sixers, the reason they won those series is because he took the team's toughest player and basically locked them up the whole time. And anyone that comes to the paint, Rudy Gobert's paint, I don't have the exact numbers on me, their percentage uh, drops off a cliff. So I think that it's harder to find players, um, at least in, in like at least in 2020 from a defensive standpoint, such as Rudy Gobert, than it is with Donovan Mitchell because you'll get that you know 6'6 guard that can explode more often than you'll get this 7'2 beast, beast of a center that will block shots and lock up the paint the whole game. So I just think that Gobert's a little harder to find, believe it or not. Let me let me tell you why I disagree, Lucas. Go ahead. <laughs> so um as as we know, uh Steph Curry has changed the game. I think mm-hmm. we're seeing more and <laughs> inspiration. More, yeah, he's an inspiration. But we're seeing this <laughs> wave of more and more guards who are just chucking him up from further and further. And mm-hmm. the reality is Rudy Gobert's one of the greatest shot blockers of all time. Yep. But he cannot lock up any player he can't lock up a team's best player like you said he can't guard the perimeter he may be able to hold down the paint and lower everyone's percentage in the paint but we're starting to see more and more play uh happen outside of the three-point arc i mean let me draw you back to that highlight where steph curry spun rudy gobert around (laughs) this this man cannot hang with the little men outside the three-point line and also i just think you're totally neglecting donovan mitchell's scoring potential um, I mean, I'm not was, saying I'm not saying he's not a all star or anything. I'm just saying that in terms of, I think you can find Donovan Mitchell's maybe not to that level, but let's say I don't know. I mean, I think I think that a lot of guards can do what he does to a lesser extent, and maybe younger guards will eventually grow out. You know, put you know, uh, over time they'll um, develop to be as good as him. And I don't think I, mean, I don't. Lucas. <laughs> 
I don't think many you know, centers are like Gobert, though. Realistically, I agree. I agree. I agree. But I think that we, the league, is leaning away from centers like Gobert. And I think, do you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell broke Michael Jordan's record for most points by a guard in his first two career postseasons. I did not know that. Uh, this man is, this man man is setting. Oh yeah, hey, this man is setting all types of scoring records already. How old is he? Like twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. Twenty three. I mean, it, I just, I think, I'm not going to say he's the future of the league, but I think he is. We're going to be seeing him in countless more All Star games. We're going to be seeing countless more highlights. This guy, he's a threat. He's a threat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely more inclined to agree with Ian. Um, you know, I, Lucas, you talked about how you think all teams should have a defensive anchor, but I honestly think it's much harder this day and age in the NBA to find a go-to scorer um, to, mm. to lead your team. Okay. And I think Donovan Mitchell is somebody that's capable of that. I think Rudy Gobert, you know, you're not going to find somebody that can do exactly what he does very easily, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can find a lot of cheap plug-and-play centers out there. That's true. Um, that can kind of just do the, the the basics and you know right now that's pretty much what you need to win you know, there's not a lot of big man game going on right now in the nba a lot of the yeah. contenders don't even have good centers so really who is rudy even locking up well it's anthony davis but i mean like <laughs> gobert's just locking up anybody who either comes to the paint and drives post up paint in general i mean people don't really score in the paint against him i want to give you guys, i want to give you guys three names right now that i think are either will be better than Donovan Mitchell or are somewhat comparable, okay? Lay it on me. Devin Booker, <laughs> Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Jalen Brown. I think wow. that... I don't... Th- wow. I, hold on. Let me, let me explain. Fed, I, I winced. I, I th- winced in pain. I, I'm, I'm sorry I had to do that to you. <laughs> I think Shea Gilgis will be better eventually. I think Jalen Brown is... I don't know if he's going to be better, but Jalen Brown's somewhat comparable. And Devin Booker offensively is significantly better than Donovan Mitchell is. So that's... Three names, all right? And Shea Gilgis-Alexander was drafted outside the top 10 as well. Let me, let me mention that. I mean, so was Donovan Mitchell. I'm just saying that these guys aren't that hard to find. But players like Gobert, two-time defensive player of the year, that is harder to find than a player of Donovan Mitchell's caliber. I mean, I, and this is different than me saying a conventional center. I understand that's that movement has kind of died. I'm just talking about his defense in particular. That defensive ability is rare. But the, the Devin Booker statement didn't bother me that much. But then you went on to say Shea Gildress Alexander and Jalen Brown. I didn't say they were better. I said they, they will I, they might be. Shea Gildress Alexander is like a seventy two in two K. I did <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay, so I would compare Donovan Mitchell. I think a better comparison would be Trey Young, Luka Doncic. He's um, not in that caliber. I'm sorry. I think he's in that. Ca- you, you, no, you better take Mitchell over Trey. I, oh, wow. that is that is that is that's asinine. That's asinine. That's asinine. That is. I think it's a steaming hot take. That's that's a really hot take. I didn't say that. Okay, Ian. I, Ian, I did not say that. I, I said I said Shea Gilders Alexander right now is not better. I don't think, but I think he's on the path to be in a few years. I mean, Chigil Alexander is really good, and and he's pretty similar to Donovan really Mitchell too. Really good. Yes, he is. Uh, so I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, 
Watch the playoffs. Watch watch the series versus the Blazers when Rudy Gobert blocked Damian Lillard almost every single time he came into the paint. And tell me if you can find that in most other teams because I, I don't think I can. But uh, The only other team I think of that built around a center like Rudy Gobert is the Detroit Pistons with Andre Drummond. And look how that has worked out. <laughs> They are absolutely garbage. You, you can't, you need, I think a scorer is so much more valuable than, than a Rudy Gobert. But, I mean, I, I don't know, agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but let's just say that they're they're both really, really valuable to the Utah. They are, they are. That's true. So. Well, the, the thing is, like, the, the guys you named, Lucas, like um, Devin Booker, Shea, Shea Gilgis, um, and Jalen Brown, all three of those guys I think are you know, if you're talking about the the players in the NBA who you just value most from like a trade perspective, mm-hmm. those three are are up there. Yeah, they are. that's true. That's true. That's true. A lot of upside, not as much upside yeah. as Donovan Mitchell. I would take any of them over Rudy Gobert, personally. They're just more versatile. Mm-hmm. I like I like their inside out games, mm-hmm. and you know they do have great scoring ability. I right. wouldn't take Shea or Jalen Brown's offensive games right now over Donovan Mitchell. I I I'd probably agree. Yeah, but I I still like Donovan Mitchell's overall game more than Devin Booker. I agree. I agree. Mm, I can't go there with Devin Booker. I, I I certainly agree with Shea, but Devin Booker, no. Sorry, Devin Booker is a pure sniper. I think he's a better pure shooter than Donovan. He's I don't cold. Know. He's cold. He's a better shooter for sure. Yeah. Donovan's a, Donovan's a stout he, defender though. He's a slashing playmaker if you look at his build. <laughs> <laughs> he's All right. Lucky though, dude. All right. Yeah, he's, He's definitely a defensive presence. All right, yeah. So this is definitely, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of ways you could go with this, but um, kind of just to um, return back to what we started with. Uh, if you were Donovan Mitchell, you know, would you be looking for um, an excuse to kind of leave Utah and get your own team, kind of like what Kyrie did with LeBron, and you know when he went from Cleveland to Boston? Is this? I, I mean, obviously the this this whole virus is a huge deal, but from a basketball standpoint. Is this reason enough for Donovan to be like, okay, I want my own team now. This is my show. And should he want a trade, ultimately? Here's the thing. I know I just hyped up Donovan Mitchell a lot, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he's he's at the point in his career where he can single-handedly carry a team like the the ability that Kyrie has. I agree. I agree. I mean – He's he's had he's has a pretty good set of guys around him, and it just hasn't it hasn't really shown. Um, but I I just I think if he ends up having that mentality that he needs his own system to like control, it'll just turn into a Devin Booker in the Sun situation, and he'll score like thirty a game, and but just nothing will nothing will come of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's tough to say where Donovan Mitchell would exactly want to go because he is in a pretty good situation with the Jazz. I mean, he's only in his third year. They've been to the playoffs every single year they've had him on the team. Um, he's he's already unequivocally the the face the face of the franchise. Um, I mean, you could argue Rudy, obviously, but I think um, just to the people of uh, Salt Lake City, I think Donovan is much more seen as you know the leader of the team mm-hmm. um so you know if i were him i wouldn't necessarily want out <laughs> um unless there's like a real hard destination that he wants and i just don't really see that right now he's from westchester county so hopefully 
Tyler, drop your fact right now. I'm from Westchester County, and I wouldn't want to come to the Knicks. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler, Tyler's old baseball coach was Donovan Mitchell's dad. Yes, that's true. Donovan Mitchell Sr. And Donovan Mitchell's Donovan Mitchell's uncle was my basketball coach two years ago. Wow. Yeah. Connections. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him saying to me, like, uh, we were at the draft the other night, and we were kind of hoping for New York just to stay close to home, but he said he likes Utah a lot. It was a pretty cool experience. But, uh, it's fine. Uh, we got Frankie Smokes. So yep. <laughs> Great. Okay. So now uh, I think we reached the point in, uh, in, in, in tonight's episode where I want to ask you guys, do you have anything that you want to bring to the table and, you know, quote-unquote share the rock with you guys? Do you, do you guys have anything you want to grill me on or anything like that? Well, listen, I'm currently, for all you viewers out there, I'm, I'm currently on the podcast with two of the biggest Knicks fans that I've ever met. <laughs> so I think it's only right that we talk about the future of, fun fact, uh, a team that has lost the most games this century out of any other team in the league. <laughs> I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. It's, it's true. It's a stat. Yeah. Ian, go, go and tell the audience what, what your favorite team is right now. Let them know. Let them know. What do you call OG? What do you call OG when when the Splash Brothers? No, no, no. it was like Curry's rookie year. I know you're a real Warriors fan, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you but me, yeah. yeah, I got you there. But there's not many yeah, yeah. like that. There's not many. I agree. There's not many. But uh, anyway, so you said you wanted to talk about the Knicks. Oh yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Why are you laughing when you say that? can go first if you want um i I just want to say uh, before i address perry in particular i just want to say one big sweeping statement uh as long as james dolan is the owner of this team they will never be in serious championship contention and i mean that they 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 will never be and honestly all knicks fans who listen to this i want to i just want to give you one thought I want you to name me the one time, any time, that a free agent has signed with the Knicks that everyone can point to and say, that's the guy. That's the guy that will win you games. Ever. In the history of the Knicks. They have never got... They have never signed what one free agent that is universally regarded as the guy. So, James Dolan is a toxic individual, and as long as he owns the Knicks, they will never be considered to be... a. A serious championship threat. So, yeah, James Nolan, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a great guy, but we just no. He's, 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 he's
guy. He's a self. He's a self-centered, very self-centered person. So he. I tried. He is perpetual, perpetually dis- dysfunctional. Okay, and every decision he makes is rooted in either greed or some self-centered thought process. And I'm going to repeat. I'm just to really emphasize. As long as he owns the Knicks, they will not ever take a step forward. Well, they might take a step forward, but it just comes with two steps back. So having that said, uh, I do actually think Leon Rose is one of the best tires in Dolan's entire tenure. You know, Leon Rose has a lot of uh, history and experience um, representing some of the NBA's top-end talent. Carl Anthony Towns was a creative artist agency client. Uh, That's that's like Leon Rose's firm. And I think Rose will instill a culture, at least, you know, as much as possible under crazy Jim Dolan of, you know, um, somewhat being stable and somewhat being functional as opposed to craziness all the time. And all I'm really looking forward is, you know, obviously I don't expect us to win games, is for the Knicks to stay out of bad headlines. You know, that Spike Lee thing was a terrible was a terrible look. And if they can just go one season without doing something that is an international embarrassment, that's a win. And combine that with a top pick, I mean, you might be looking at, you know, a middle-of-the-pack team in some time. So it'll take time, but I think they're taking steps in the right direction with Perry and Leon Rose, two very well-respected basketball executives. So, so, so you're hot? You like Scott Perry? Like, you're, you're pro-Perry? Uh, I don't mind him. Actually, I mean, I think I think um, Leon Rose will have the final say on most basketball decisions, but I don't I don't mind Perry. I hated Steve Mills. I'm not gonna lie. I was really happy when Steve Mills was gone, but I, I, I don't mind Perry. I don't mind. But how exactly do you separate what Mills did and what Perry did? That, that's my big problem. Be- because Mills is Mills was the president and Perry was you know, the GM, and Perry kind of reported to Mills on final decisions with things like that. Right, but how do you know, like, because? Basically, throughout the entirety of both of their tenures, they've only made bad moves, essentially. <laughs> Trading Porzingis has, has turned into a catastrophe. Right. It just looks worse by the day. That was one of the worst trades of all time, in my opinion. It yeah. looks terrible. And we stretched Joakim Noah's contract for no reason <laughs> as, as well. We signed. We stretched Joakim Noah's contract just to sign Julius Randle. And Taj Gibson. Yeah. And Taj. Oh, and they've been great. Randle is universally panned by Knicks fans right now. Yeah. The Beyblade. <laughs> you know, that. You know the king of the um, inefficient f- fadeaway shot over two people. But, oh, yeah. I, nice spin move into traffic turnover. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I... Okay, so I'm just going to back, back up track for one second. Leon Rose represented Chris Paul, I believe, at, at a certain point. And, you know... I am so torn on the Chris Paul deal because one part part of me is saying on the, I mean I mean on the Chris Paul trade idea because one part of me is saying you know he's he's thirty four his contract is well actually turned thirty five today his contract is terrible it's awful he's getting paid forty four million in the middle of his thirties he's might be injury prone and he may not be a good fit with the young guys but the other side of me says he's he has won everywhere he went he made the Thunder better. He made the Rockets better from what they had before. He made the Clippers from a, 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 a league-wide joke to one of the best teams in the league. So I just think that his culture, his the winning mindset he brings is really valuable. And I wouldn't be opposed to him coming in for a year or two to show the young guys how to win a little bit. Okay, one, uh, Chris Paul is definitely not a winner. He, he, <laughs> he, he's a good basketball player. but Compared to what his teams did before he got there? 
player. I mean, he helped, but he's once he, well, yeah, he's never he's never made it to the finals. He's never he's never won. He has no rings. Um, mm-hmm. And do the Knicks even have enough value to bring Chris Paul? I mean, cap space, cap space. You mean? I mean, for a, a trade that like pure like talent wise, do the Knicks have enough? talent to bring Chris Paul. Well, the Thunder would kind of be salary dumping him, I would think. So, Do you think so? Do you think they really would, though? Because this is what makes me very worried about this. Because Chris Paul had a good season last year. He did. And from the way it looks right now, I think he's viewed as a positive asset, even with his contract. So I think if the Knicks wanted to trade for him, they would have to give something up. And I do not like the, the idea yeah, that, that's valuable to me for a 35-year-old point guard with a terrible contract. But yeah. what about the fact that he, like, okay, maybe, okay, Ian, um, obviously uh, you mentioned that he hasn't won a ring, but what about the fact that he's won, like, a hundred times more than anyone on this Knicks roster has before, and for him to, for him, for him to bring, for him to bring some, some, at least, advice and mentorship, I, I mean, you guys see no value in that? Uh, you know, because... Why don't they bring him in as a he is nowhere near enough to allow the Knicks to have even have a winning record. I think if he went to the Knicks, the Knicks would win like max forty games. But he wouldn't really be to win games. Mostly, he would mostly be to kind he of. Just said he's a winner. Well, I mean, um, in terms of the mindset and culture he brings to teams, I'll I, I'll, I'll give you a prime example. The Clippers were awful, absolutely. Like I mentioned before, league-wide joke. Chris Paul comes in, and I'm not saying they win championships, but they were a consistent, deep playoff threat. I mean, I'm not saying they went deep. Right, and they also blew a 3-1 lead to the Rockets in the second round of 2015, I remember that series. But, look, I just think Chris Paul's winning culture would translate well, me personally. It's a heavy price tag, but I'm willing to swallow it for... I don't like the assumption that he would bring in this winning culture, which is, you know, intangible, really. Right. Um, because would that result in actual wins? Who cares? The Knicks don't have any talent as it is. <laughs> so it doesn't even really matter. And I think it's a lot to ask on Chris Paul, who's a guy who, you know, he hasn't won a championship, as Ian brought up. I feel like he would probably want to at this stage of his career. He doesn't want to babysit. R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very. It, it it could be. I could definitely see that relationship going south very quickly, and that's not even talking about a potential injury that Paul could have. I mean, he's thirty five. He's only like six foot, so he's he's you know, generally small guards don't really age very gracefully as it is. It it makes me very worried, and especially with that contract, and the assumption that we would have to be giving up value to take it in I, i'm out I, i'm out on the idea of chris paul coming to new york if i we traded like if we traded randall for him then like fine <laughs> 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 if we traded randall and alfred payton and you know bobby portis maybe like fine you know <laughs> somebody's got to be on the team <laughs> but but giving up stuff for a 35 year old chris paul no I definitely think that Chris Paul's career has just been on a downward spiral. I think from team to team he's that he's going to, he's just getting worse. And uh, 
I've always kind of been a Chris Paul hater because I never liked the beef that he had with Steph Curry. But I, I, I do think that like if he went to the Knicks, it would be the end of his career. Are you saying that because they're the Knicks? You're you're saying that because they're the Knicks, right? No, no, no. Well, no. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) He would. Chris Paul's not like a, like he's a he's a veteran. He's a he's a very like he'd provide great wisdom. But you think he wants to be playing with with Julius Randle and Taj Gibson? If he's getting paid forty four million, I mean. I think he would just because. Chris Paul's got a little bit of a temper. We've seen that. He he poked Rondo in the eyes like a Three Stooges double finger poke style. <laughs> this this guy is he's. I just feel like he's toxic and he's not what the Knicks are looking for right now. The Knicks need a leader. Okay. And I have a solution for you, Knicks fans out there. Oh, let's hear it. This would require the Knicks getting very lucky in the draft lottery. Oh my! You're gonna say Lamelo Ball. You're gonna, aren't you? It, it's gonna. Are you, are you, if you're gonna say Lamelo Ball, you don't even have to. Don't even. I'm. I, 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 I'm. I'm. I'm not a Lamelo supporter. You know this. Um, I don't understand that. This Lamelo is. I'm not saying he's gonna turn the Knicks around, but it's a step in the right direction. He's. The Knicks need a scorer. They need a leader. Cole they Anthony. Have no leadership. Cole Anthony's a playmaker more than a scorer. Cole Anthony. Lamelo Ball is a much better scorer. Than Cole Anthony, Anthony was in a much bigger spotlight than Lamelo ever was in Australia. Realistically, Lamelo is have, probably had the biggest spotlight out of any high school and, and not like college, but international player ever. He's been under the spotlight for like what, like five years now. He's been like the most highly watched. Uh, recruit it, like ever this this guy like credit that to his 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 last name but i mean you, you can't say lamello hasn't had a spotlight on him all right uh all right i mean i guess we can agree to disagree i just think that lamello kind of always will come with that drama tag which is what the knicks don't that's true, that's true. don't don't, don't need I, the knicks are doomed let's be real <laughs> as, yeah like i said before as long as dolan owns the team uh i, I don't think they're gonna go Anywhere, as long as I have he's one like, more idea yeah. that I want to float your way, Lucas. Let me know how you think. What All you right. think about this. Last thing, because we are approaching an hour here. Last so. thing, tank for Bronny. That could be LeBron. <laughs> Yo, years, that would be LeBron squared. That would, that that would be LeBron squared. That would be LeBron squared. The legacy. We're doing a four-year tank here. If LeBron brought a ring to New York, I would. I I wouldn't dislike him. Oh, that's coming a lot from a Warriors. That's a lot coming yeah, from a Warriors fan. I'm a New York fan. I know, but I would just respect that so much because I know the Knicks are one of the worst franchises in NBA history. Sports history, I'll correct you there. Um, Sports. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all right, guys. Uh, I unfortunately I do have to wrap this up. We are about to hit the hour mark, so I just want to say, uh, you know, you guys brought some great perspectives, and we had some great conversation. I just really appreciate both your you guys' time and uh, coming to record with me yeah of course so um you can catch share the rock uh, like i said at the beginning of the show every thursday at noon uh, apple podcast spotify and every major streaming service thank you and stay safe